0: You know, as I was studying in the Gospel of Matthew this week and thinking about all that God has revealed of himself, all that Christ has revealed of himself and his, his work, his plan for his kingdom, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed a little bit. I mean, the work that Jesus is doing, that we are seeing testified to on the pages of the Gospel of Matthew, it is truly overwhelming, Right? Many of us grew up hearing these stories about Jesus, and so they become familiar to us. And it's, it's possible, if we're not careful, that everything that we see Jesus doing here, we could take for granted. But I pray that as it has been true in my heart, that it's true in your heart, that we're seeing the work of Christ in new and fresh ways and being moved by, by what Jesus is doing and how he is doing it. Think about what we've been witnessing. Over the first nine chapters of the the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the sick are being healed, the dead are being raised, the the blind are made to see, and the oppressed are being made free. Everything that God had promised He would do, and the coming of the Messiah is taking place in front of our eyes. the The effects of sin, the effects of brokenness, that have so impacted the world and every Every human being's life is is suddenly being touched and, and overcome by the powerful and incredible work of Jesus Christ. And perhaps even more important than those physical demonstrations of Christ's authority is the reality that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. The testimony to the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand. All these things tied together, the physical and the spiritual, to show Christ's comprehensive authority over all things. The work is stunning. It's miraculous. It's overwhelming. And I think it's overwhelming to us because the need is so overwhelming. The work of Christ is so overwhelming because we understand the need that it is speaking to. And we feel that need deep inside of our being because we know it. We know our neediness. We we know the reality that in our desperation, we need God to show up and do something about it. Last week, we got to encounter four people, four people with tremendous need who were desperate for Jesus to help them. And praise be to God that Jesus, when seeing them, when they came to him, he didn't turn a blind eye, but know with compassion, he stepped into the midst of their brokenness and he made them well. He saved them. He restored them from the effect of sin in their life. A testimony to all of us. that As you sit here in need, as you sit here in brokenness, you have a God who desires to meet you there. And to speak into that situation and help overcome in your life all the effects of sin, all the, the damage and wreckage that sin has caused. You see, those, those four people were just representative of all of us, right? All of us have brokenness. All of us have need. It wasn't just those four who needed help. There are more, and we see that in our passage today as we move to the end of chapter nine, the beginning of chapter 10 of the book of Matthew. Jesus moves throughout the entire region of Galilee and the northern part of Israel. And he moves from town to town, city to city, and everywhere he looks, he sees people who have need. He sees people who need need. God to show up and to do something, to speak into their situation. And so he goes, teaching and proclaiming, healing and restoring. Suddenly, all these hopeless situations are met with hope. Suddenly, what were, were lost causes are not so lost after all. But there's need even beyond Galilee, Right? It's not just those four. It's not just Galilee. It's not just Israel that need help. Every single person that has ever walked this planet has been touched by the brokenness of sin. Every one of us has a need that only God in Christ can speak to. So here's the question. How does the work that God fulfills, ushered in in Christ, how does it reach not only those four? How does it reach not only the city of Galilee or the region of Galilee? How does it reach not only the people of Israel? How does it reach to the ends of the earth? That's a question I'm deeply concerned about because I didn't live in Galilee 2,000 years ago, but I have that need. And I hope that you're concerned about, because even though you didn't live 2,000 years ago in Galilee or Israel, you have that need as well, the need that only Christ and his kingdom can speak to. So how is it that the work of Jesus Christ, the work of his kingdom expands beyond Galilee to Israel, to the ends of the earth, to every generation that comes after this until Christ returns? I got good news. Good news. Jesus has a plan. He's got a plan. He's got a plan to meet that need, to multiply his ministry, to extend the reach of his kingdom to the ends of the earth and the ends of the age. He's got a plan, and his plan is us. How incredible is that? At the end of Matthew 9, into Matthew 10, we see A plan begin to develop, begin to unfold before us of Christ's effort to see his kingdom reach across the world. He sets in motion a plan that will literally turn the world upside down, to engage the world through his disciples. And here's how I know it works. Because you and I are sitting here today. Isn't that incredible? We're sitting here today because Jesus made some disciples who made some disciples who made some disciples. We're faithful to do and continue and extend the work of Christ and we are the beneficiaries today. But we're also the inheritors of that work because there's more work to be done. Here's our main point today. We as the disciples of Jesus, the church of the living God, have been called to extend the hope of Jesus to a hopeless world and to do it until he comes back. Let's see how Matthew shows us this transition in the ministry of Jesus that's ours to receive, beginning in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We'll read through chapter 10, verse four. Here's what the word of God says. And he called to him, sorry, and Jesus, verse 35, went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples, the apostles, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, And to heal every disease and every affliction, the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, the author of this gospel, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. A lot of things happening in this passage. Let's just Walk through it closely for a few moments together. Matthew begins by reminding us of the work of Jesus. and verses 35 and 36, Matthew shows us that Jesus is doing the very same things today, right now, that he began doing in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. His ministry is not changing. He's going through all these cities, all these villages. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel and In coordination with that proclamation of the kingdom of God at hand, he's also healing every disease and every affliction. Again, showing his complete authority over the entirety of creation. And I want you to think about what Matthew's saying here. Because it's very easy to read over this and not take account of the difficulty of this work. He's going through every town. Every city. Proclaiming, teaching in the synagogues and healing the people who come to him with need. Pastor Moses told me this week in our, our preaching team meeting that at this time in Galilee, the region that we're, we're focusing on right now in the story of Jesus, there were likely about 3 million people living in that region and about 204 cities or towns, 204 cities or towns. And Matthew says that he went, Jesus, to all of them. And while that's not a large geographical area per se, that's a lot of cities, it's a lot of towns, it's a lot of people to engage with. And remember, Jesus didn't hype on a bike or jump in his car and drive there. He went on foot That's dedication, isn't it? I mean, he came from heaven, took on flesh to dwell among us, to tell us about the work of God and to deliver on the promises of God. And then he willingly walked to the very people who had need for him, giving of himself, even though he was tired, giving of himself, even though it was difficult. Why? Why? Matthew tells us, because he had compassion. The hardness of the ministry was undertaken because of the love that God had for his people. Jesus came because of love, and he is working because of love. He looks at these crowds, according to verse 36, and he has compassion upon them. Compassion, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were needy. And they had no way to know where to go. The people that God had given to them, the people of Israel, these, these priests, these Pharisees, they had they failed their people. In fact, they weren't leading them closer to God. They were leading them further away from God. And so the thirst had grown. The hunger had grown. The neediness had grown. The desperation had grown. And Jesus looks upon them and he doesn't resent them. He doesn't look and and condemn them. He has compassion over them. What a statement of the heart of Jesus for the ministry that God had undertaken him to give. He was willing to be poured out completely in order to meet their needs. He wanted to shepherd them in the way that they needed to be shepherded, fulfilling the prophecy of Micah chapter five. Do you remember this? This prophecy of Micah for the Messiah Beginning of verse four, and he shall stand the Messiah and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. What an incredible thing to see Micah chapter five come into being. Fulfilled on the pages of Matthew chapter 9. He wants to shepherd them. He wants to care for them. He wants to, to be their peace, to lead them from hopelessness to hope because he loves them. What an incredible work that Jesus did! What an incredible need that Jesus is meeting. But as I think about the difficulty of this work, the, the strain it took on Jesus to, and his humanity to go from town to town, city to city, and in in the region of Galilee to meet with those three million people, we've got to begin asking the question, how is it going to move beyond that area? What about the need in the rest of Israel? There, there are more sheep in Israel that need a shepherd, there's, there are more people in the covenant people of God that, that need to know the Messiah has come. And even beyond that, there is a world of people created in the image of God who are supposed to be drawn to God through the witness of Israel. So how is it that Jesus moves beyond that? The ministry he's undertaken there in Galilee to reach all of Israel and then through Israel reach all of the world. How is it that that God will bring about the expansion of this kingdom to meet the ends of the earth and the ends of the age? Well, Jesus begins to unfold his plan here. In verses 37 and 38, he acknowledges the need. He's talking to his disciples and he says, listen, the need that you've seen here, it's great, but do you know there's more need? There's more need. The harvest is plentiful. There's there's more work to be done. People are ready to receive the hope of the gospel. People are ready to receive the kingdom. People are ready to, to recognize the Messiah. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors, they are few. There are people out there who are harassed who are helpless, who are wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. They're ready, but the laborers are few. You gotta pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up workers. Jesus says the laborers are few, but to this point in the gospel of Matthew, he could have said the laborers are singular. It's been him, right? He's been doing all the work. From 4 to 9, Matthew's been showing us that Jesus has undertaken this work. He's preaching the gospel. He's healing people. But at some point, a transition had to take place, and we are seeing that transition on the pages of the the gospel of Matthew at the end of 9 and begin of 10, where he says, I'm going to draw some people to myself. I'm going to bring some people to myself. And I'm going to extend to them the authority that has been given to me to do the work that I have come to do. I'm going to extend my reach. I'm going to multiply the mission. Including my disciples in the work to build the kingdom of God. How incredible is God's plan to reach the nation's? that he would choose to use the very people he's restored, the very people he's saved, the very people he's called from hopelessness into hope to give and extend that message to others. What a privilege, church, to be part of this, this work that we're seeing on the pages of Scripture. And then in the beginning of 10, Jesus sets in place the plan to multiply workers for his kingdom. I'm going I need workers. I need more. And then in 10, he shows us how he's going to do that. From the collective larger group of disciples, he calls 12 specifically. And he he brings these 12 close to himself in order to multiply himself in them. They would be given unique authority, unique opportunity, to extend the ministry of Jesus. I want you to notice something. Look at chapter 10, verse one. He calls these 12 and he gives them authority. And here's what he asks them to do. To cast out unclean spirits, to heal every disease, every affliction. Later at end, chapter nine, we'll see that they go out proclaiming, verse seven, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything that Jesus has been doing and his earthly ministry, these apostles are asked to do. They're not doing a lesser ministry. They're doing the same ministry. Extending, multiplying the work of God to satisfy the need of broken humanity. It's incredible. What a picture of discipleship. What a picture of multiplication. As Jesus pours himself into others, for them to be poured out into others so that the gospel, conversation by conversation, encounter by encounter, moves throughout the world. This is the plan. This is the way the gospel goes forth. This is the way the kingdom is built and ministry is extended. I want you to hear me today. We as a people, First Baptist Church of Irving, are gathered here today because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ called 12 men to himself who then poured themselves into others, who then poured themselves into others, establishing the church and proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. Mind-blowing to see the beginnings of what we have inherited in our passage today. And the work continues. Do you know that God is still working to bring people to himself today? Do you know he's still rescuing people from hopelessness today through the message of Jesus Christ? Do you know he's still with compassion meeting people and their brokenness, and their moment of need, and satisfying that need through Jesus. They're still harvest friends, and workers are still needed. Do you know there are hundreds of thousands, millions and billions of people who live around us and in this world who are consumed in hopelessness and need the gospel of Jesus Christ? That This passage is setting the stage for the great commission at the end of the book of Matthew when he says to his disciples, go to all nations. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you as you do it to the end of the age. The work that begin here, is ours today. And if I could, I'd like to just stir our hearts today with a need. Can we just look at the crowd today? Can we look at the world today and ask the Lord to give us compassion? Ask the Lord to give us a love for the nations the way that Jesus loved his people? A love that would cause us to move toward need? Move toward this brokenness with the the gospel of Jesus Christ instead of ignoring it, being apathetic to it, or running away from it. Let's consider our own own context, Irving, Texas. This is the city, the community, to which God has called this people to reach. In a three-mile radius of our church, right? Three miles south, north, east, west there are roughly 120,000 people. In Irving proper, 240,000 people live. So almost half the population of Irving lives within three miles of our church. And I don't know if you know this or not. You can't really drive through Irving without noticing it. Irving is one of the most diverse cities in America. In fact, there's a zip code in Irving that is considered by some to be the most diverse zip code in the United States. God's called us to reach the nations. First, after Church of Irving, he's brought the nations to us. Of those 120,000 people, I, did a, I had a, um, a, a kind of a, an overview done of our area. And they used census data to conclude that only about a third of those 120,000 people consider religious programs of any kind an important part of their life. So think about that. Of 120,000 people, only 40,000 believe that religious programs are important. And that's not just Christian. That's anything. So there are 80,000 people within three miles of our church who don't really have any religious practice at all in their lives. And even the 40,000 who do, many of them worship in ways that would be contrary to the gospel. We can all agree. There's 100,000 people at least in the shadow of our steeple who do not know Jesus. Jesus. Would you look at them today? Does your heart break They're your neighbors. They're your coworkers, They're the, the kids your, your kids go to school with, the people you play ball with, the ones you eat beside at a restaurant. Does your heart break for them? Because of the hopelessness that they live in apart from Christ. State of Texas according to the SBTC one of the conventions in Texas that we're partnered with 20 million of our 30 million residents in Texas do not know Jesus 20 million people in Texas do not know Christ how is that possible Jared there's a church on every corner of every street in Texas how is it possible it's, It is, it's possible. And there are more people from every kind of different worldview moving to Texas every day. Can you think about our state? The millions of people who live in El Paso, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Amarillo, all the stop sign towns in between, who do not know Jesus, would your heart break for them? Would you pray for God to help you love them the way that he loves them? The United States, 331 million people live in the United States. Atheists, those who do not know God, or who say there is no God. Agnostics, who don't know what to think about God. And those who identify as religious nothings, according to the latest census data, make up 20% of our population. So let's say 60 million. And those identifying as Christians shrink every year. And we even know that even though a large majority of Americans claim to be Christians, not all of them are actually Christians. So hundreds of millions of people and the United States who don't know Jesus. Churches dying and closing their doors every day and not enough church plants to keep up with the growing populations. If you look at our country and ask God to break your heart for the lostness of our country, what do we do? Our world, 7.5 billion people or thereabouts, live on earth. Two billion of those do claim to be Christians. Again, though, it's hard to know what that means. But let's just say that all two billion of them are actually believers in Jesus Christ. That means 5.5 billion people live on this planet who do not know Christ. It's probably more than that. Many of them don't have any gospel witness at all Nobody telling them about Jesus. No Bible in their language. Will you ask God to break your heart for the nations? Will we have compassion on them, even though they're different? Speak a different language than us, look different than us. Because God loves them. Will we love them? Now I want to say as a church, if I can have a moment, I just want to pastorally brag on you guys because we are engaged in this mission. There are some things that First Baptist Irving has been doing for a lot of years that should be commended and celebrated. And let's just brag on the work of God through us for a moment as we consider the way that we are engaged in trying to extend the gospel forth. First of all, We're involved in the cooperative program. I don't know if you know this or not. As a Southern Baptist church, we are partnered with other Southern Baptist churches for the purpose of global missions. So here's what happens. You give to the budget of First Baptist Church of Irving. And then we as a church give a portion of that budget to our state and national conventions to lock arms so that collectively we can multiply our reach and do the work of the gospel. So we support things like seminaries to, to train up leaders and to train up new pastors. And, and we have something called the North American Mission Board where uh, we, we funnel our missions strategy for all of North America through that, planting churches in areas of great need, strengthening and revitalizing churches where they need it. And then we also are part of one of the, the greatest mission sending agencies in the history of the world, the International Mission Board, where we send out Hundreds of missionaries every year all over the world. So just by giving to our budget and you voting on our budget and our church being faithful to give, we are partnered in missions. We're, we're giving to the work of missions, but we're doing more than just giving and getting giving more to just than, than just the cooperative program. We've sent people from our church To the nations. And I gotta say, guys, I've been a part of a lot of churches throughout the years, some 10 times the size of our church. I don't know that I've seen a church send out as many missionaries as our church has. It's pretty incredible. I don't want you to take that for granted. It is not normal, unfortunately, for a church to be as active in sending missionaries internationally as our church is. And I wanna give praise to God. For how he's moved and continues to move in Irving to send people like the Kallenbergs, people like Nikki Armand out. We support missionaries today directly, in one way, either praying, giving, or going and supporting them. We, we support missionaries in Ethiopia. It's a really cool thing. Do you know that there are two native Ethiopians? called by God, trained by other Ethiopians who right now are on behalf of our church, ministering and witnessing to an unreached people group on top of a mountain in Southern Ethiopia. Isn't that incredible? Because you give faithfully to the global missions offering and you give faithfully to our budget, we're able to do that. We, with the IMB, said, hey, we're we're gonna try to develop a strategy to reach these people, And because of a connection that Pastor Rick had, we were able to connect with these two young men. And today, I got an an email from Tespe earlier this week. Today, Tespe and Bedrew up on that mountain trying to reach this people for the sake of the gospel. Praise the Lord. We support Nikki Armand and Chad trying to engage in a very difficult part of the world with the gospel. We got two missionaries you saw earlier going to Liberia this week. To raise up and train other leaders in that area in the west of Africa to, to lead out in the growing church that's happening there in west of Africa. We have two families, the outlaws in the circles, who picked up everything and moved to Honduras. I have a dear sister who's helping with the seminary training in Peru. You're going to hear from Carrie later this month we also have partnerships in the Mideast and in India. Praise the Lord. We can't do everything, but friends, there's a lot that our church is involved with and engaged with, and that's not even talking about the church planting work that we're doing in North America in partnership with Pillar a like-minded church planning organization where we're planning churches and areas of need around our country, and the members, the hundreds of members, some of whom are here today, who are actively engaging the lost every week in their apartment complexes and their neighborhoods, and many members in our church who are actively involved in mercy ministries in Irving, helping to meet physical needs with the point and purpose of speaking to spiritual needs. We are engaged and we praise the Lord for how he's allowed us to be engaged. But can we also say there's still work to be done? There's still more that needs to be done. There's still a harvest left. So what should we do? What should we do as a church in order to, to further engage and further be faithful and extending the ministry and the reach of the gospel? What three reactions this morning to the work of God and the calling of God here in Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10. First, let's continually consider the ministry of Jesus and the example that he sets for us. Remember, our ministry is the extension of the ministry of Christ. So whatever we do, it should be like Jesus, right? We should seek to understand the ministry of Christ and be like him. So Let's be compassionate. Let's, let's love and ask the Lord to help us love. If your heart doesn't break for the lost around you, if your heart doesn't break for the, the nations, would you just pray, God, give me your heart for the nations? Would you help me love them the way that you love them? And would you would you ask Would you ask the Lord to help you engage with them as Jesus did? To not look on them and turn a blind eye, but to see them in their desperation, to see them in their need and move toward it, not away from it. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we should do that individually and corporately. Let's let's commit to be diligent. Let's not be lazy. I mean, Jesus did the hard work right? He went from town to town, city to city. He met with people. He he ate with people. He let his character be questioned by the religious elite of the day because he came to heal the sick, not the well. Let's be diligent. In the morning, when you wake up to go to work, would you ask God to remember that you have a greater work to do? your primary responsibility in your office or at your school is not to be a good employee, but to be a disciple maker, to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you be intentional? Would you have intentional conversations and draw people close to you to ask them, where they are spiritually, to hear about their, their spiritual story and, and navigate whether or not they know Jesus or need to know about Jesus and ask God to give you the words, even if you feel ill-equipped. And then collectively, let's be strategic. Let's figure out the best way for us to multiply the ministry God's given to us to send out disciples locally and globally for the glory of God. So let's consider the ministry of Jesus and make sure that whatever it is that we do, it's like Christ. You know, one of the the blessings of COVID, one of the things I'm actually grateful for, and a sea of things I'm not very grateful for at the moment, but one of the things I'm really grateful for is how the Lord has forced us as a church to simplify our ministry. You know, we can get distracted by a lot of things that don't really matter. And if we look at the Bible, ministry is actually pretty simple. It's just calling people to yourself, telling them about Jesus, helping them know how to walk with Jesus, and sending them out to do the same. So let's consider the ministry of Jesus. and Let's embrace that. It's his plan. It's worked to this point. I don't think we can really improve on it, right? But secondly, let's pray. Notice the end of nine, the first thing that Jesus asks his disciples to do as he points out the need is to pray. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so what should you do? Should you go in your own strength? Should you go try to fix the problem on your own? No, he says pray. Why? It's a spiritual work, right? This is a spiritual thing that we are engaging in. Yes, there's authority over both the spiritual and the physical. It's a spiritual work, though, that we are engaging in, calling people to repentance and faith in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to show up and do more than we can do on our own. I'm reminded at the end of the Gospels, uh, before Jesus ascends into heaven, in actually the beginning of Acts, he says to his disciples, hey, go up in the the meeting place, the upper room, and you stay there until the Holy Spirit comes. Why? Because they could not do what Christ had called them to do apart from the Holy Spirit's presence and power and work within them and upon them. And friends, if we're gonna make a dent in the lostness of Irving and the brokenness of Irving, if we're gonna make any impact around the world to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has to be because God is working through us. that The Spirit is blessing us, going before us. There's not a person in the world that you can win to Jesus in your own strength. I don't care how great your articulation is. I don't care how awesome your theological treatise is. If the Holy Spirit's not in it, it won't work. Before we go, let's be on our knees. Asking God to show up and to do more than we could ever imagine. And then... Let's do the work of multiplication. Let's look at the example of Jesus. Let's pray as he's asked us to. And then let's follow his example. Let's be disciples who make disciples. I don't want to be about anything else in our church if we're not disciples who make disciples. We're going to be about this work. Let's be disciples of Jesus, striving to be more like him, wanting to... Display the fruit of the Spirit. Let's be like Jesus and listen. Let's call people to ourselves and tell them about Jesus, help them understand how to walk with Jesus, and let's send them out to do the same. Because that's how the gospel will go forth conversation by conversation, encounter by encounter until Jesus returns. Let's send out our members intentionally in our community in a safe way, appropriate ways. Let's plant churches locally, nationally, internationally, recognizing that that's God's design for reaching the nations. And then as God raises up some among us to go, let's send them out faithfully to the places in the world that need it. Not everybody can go, but there will be some among us who will go. And let's do everything we can to help them and send them faithfully. And let's remember, we can't do it on our own. We can do some of the work, but we can't do all the work. We may be able to get to Galilee, but it's really important for us to lock arms with other like-minded churches and other like-minded believers so that the entire church Is doing the work of the entire church for the glory of God. Let's own our space. Let's partner with others to own theirs. And let's see what happens when the people of God get the heart of God for the nations and do the work that He's called us to. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the the Holy Spirit to help you know how to respond. Some of you might be saying, well, Jared, I I feel like one of those sheep without a shepherd. I'm still in brokenness. I'm still in desperation. I don't know what to do. I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus came to meet you in your brokenness. Jesus came because of love for you. He has compassion for you. He died for you. For you. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and then believe in Him, that God raised Him from the dead, you can be saved. He will shepherd you and lead you to God and eternal life. Do you believe that Jesus is who He says He is? And do you believe that He did what He said He would do? Are you willing to repent of your sin and trust in Him alone for salvation? Your story can change forever today. For the rest of us who are in Christ, are we about this work? I want you to remember, Jesus gives this challenge not to the apostles, to the disciples. Every disciple is called to be about the work of the harvest. I'm gonna ask a question. I don't want it to be condemning I just want it to be challenging. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time you spoke to someone outside of your church, outside of your small group about Jesus to encourage them? Some of you are so faithful in doing that, and I praise the Lord for you. Some of us, I think we can grow in it a little bit. And if you're willing, would you pray this bold prayer right now? God, would you uh, this week allow me to have a divine encounter that you go before me and let me talk with somebody about Jesus who needs to know about Jesus? Would you pray that? Maybe the Holy Spirit may be bringing somebody to your mind right now that you think, man, I gotta take that person to lunch. Or we need to have that neighbor over to dinner. Or I need to go get on the exercise machine beside that person. And even though I'm out of breath, talk to him about Jesus. And then collectively as a people, would you ask the Lord to give us a heart for the lost? A heart for the broken. A heart for the needy. To come in and usher in the kingdom of God and the power of God. Locally and globally for his glory. Let's be faithful disciples. Let's declare the gospel. Let's meet needs and show the power of God globally for his glory. Father, we pray that you would help us respond in a way that's faithful, that's honoring to you. Give us your heart. Help us love and have compassion for this world that needs you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So many ways to respond today, but let's let's stand right now and respond in singing.